0: Welcome to the Nurture Small Business Podcast. I'm your host, Denise Kagan, president of the DCA Virtual Business Support. At DCA, we believe in small businesses and the families they support. Learn more at dcavirtual.com. Today's guest found a problem in the logistics system where he solved a problem of chargebacks for companies. Now, companies are always thinking about you know how to save money, particularly in their line of logistics and shipping and all areas of the company. But not only did he solve a problem with money, he also solved a problem with allowing the company to become greener. In this episode, James Malley is going to tell us about Packurit and how Packurit solves the problem of packing consumer goods that ship to consumers and save both money for the companies that are shipping, as well as reduce the carbon footprint. James also is going to tell us a little bit about how consumers can pitch in and do their part as well. Welcome to the show, James.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I want to just kind of dive in a little bit and get to know you a little bit. You said you fell in love with tech when I talked to you previously. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah. So I actually went to art school. I studied theater in college. And uh, for beer money, I made websites for off Broadway theater companies. And by the time I graduated, I realized I enjoyed that more. And theater is not really something you can do if your heart's only half in it. It's kind of a thankless uh, career, especially at the beginning. So, you know, right after graduation, maybe like a couple of weeks after I auditioned for one Broadway play, and I was like, enough of this and uh, started working on on technology projects.
0: Interesting, because my daughter absolutely wanted to go that route of acting and became so disillusioned. She's now in banking. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> big change there. So that's not uncommon for that to happen. So what was the play you auditioned for?
1: Oh, I, I can't even remember. I, I don't know if it was even up anywhere for a, a <laughs> week or anything. But for what it's worth, like I, I don't regret theater school at all. It was an incredible experience, kind of learning how to collaborate towards building something, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, learning how to tell stories uh, in a way that is uh, compelling and honest. All that stuff was actually extremely valuable. And I still kind of think back to some of the lessons I learned um, as I, you know, kind of run the business today.
0: You know, that's interesting and also parallels with the story I just told you about my daughter. A lot of times people hear arts degree or liberal arts and they think, eh, you know, what, what have you done? But there's a lot of valuable transferable skills that come out of that. With my daughter going into banking industry, I asked her, I was like, well, how did that happen? Because she has an art history degree is hmm. finally what she landed on. And she's like, art history is all about research. And that's what they have me doing is research and validating accounts. I was like, that makes sense. For sure. <laughs> For sure. It, And she spoke multiple languages. So with you, that storytelling, that is such a valuable asset for a business owner or somebody who does marketing. That's incredible.
1: I I think communication in general, learning how to clearly communicate is kind of an undervalued uh, skill, but it's extremely valuable, especially if you're an entrepreneur.
0: Absolutely. I had a guest on one time that had talked about how she, she does improvisation to teach people how to communicate better. Yeah, yeah no, it's a Great exercise. Yeah. <laughs> same concept. Okay, so let's fast forward. You got into build. You were building the websites for beer money, and <laughs> I, I had high fives on that. Okay, <laughs> so you were building the websites, and this sparked your creativity for tech world. Tell me a little bit more about your history before we get to, you know, Pacurate.
1: Yeah, so I, I think my my interest is into tech was uh, probably the same as a lot of people where. Somebody else had an idea and they were like, who do we know that's a computer person? And it just happened to be me. And that that first project ended up being more complicated than I could handle on my own. So I tapped into my network, actually called up an old uh, high school buddy, Pat Powers, who's now um, our co-founder and CTO. And we just started working together on and taking freelance projects, eventually found our way into logistics technology. And we stayed there until we started the company we have today.
0: All right, so logistics is a hot topic these days because there's lots of supply chain issues for lots of different products. So how how has the logistics supply chain issues impacted what you've done over at Pacur?
1: Yeah, so, you know, we've gotten, you could say lucky, but part of our success is probably due to the pandemic. So that's kind of a perverse way of uh, looking at it. But basically, back in 2017, 2018, FedEx and UPS started penalizing shippers, retailers for packing things poorly. So we... You know we knew a bunch of shippers that were struggling with us, so we decided to build something that would help them. And then, when the pandemic came, really the pain that we were solving became much more acute. So we started to get actually really big customers like Crate and Barrel and Dillard's and companies like that. And so it, it was kind of a you know, it took place over a few years, but it felt like whiplash because when we started, we were like, oh, this will be a nice little business and we'll build it and move on, you know, it wasn't, we, we didn't have that foresight to see that this could turn into something bigger, but yeah, yeah. it was all about timing.
0: Yes, definitely. And because of the pandemic, of course, everybody's shopping at home. That makes perfect sense that all of a sudden you were moving in fast motion at that point. It became very accelerated. So let's back up just a little bit. What sure. is the PACURA solution?
1: <laughs> yeah. So if you ever order something online, small, like a pen or a pencil, and it shows up in a box, uh, the size of a refrigerator. That's what we try to fix. So we've got this uh, basically algorithm that generates packing instructions with a visual that show up in the warehouse uh, for the packer to follow so they don't make those mistakes. Uh, it's kind of like 3D Tetris uh, that plays itself uh, really, really fast uh, in a fulfillment center. Okay.
0: So that's basically it. Okay. Technology-wise, that makes sense to me. Yeah. What does the end user see when they see something that might be in a packer shipping cart?
1: Sure. So, well, you should see fewer of those cases where there's a tiny thing rattling and around in a big box. But you should also see, you might not actually know if you're a consumer, you might not know what you're looking at. Because what we actually try to do is optimize these shipments for the ju- the actual journey that they're going to take. So, you know, if you buy something overnight, it's going to go on a plane. You might have a few tiny boxes because it's more important to squeeze the air out because jet fuel is incredibly polluting uh, and expensive. Whereas if you order something from a zip code over, you might see uh, everything in one big box. Um, But the objective is really to minimize waste and emissions.
0: Wow. So you just went to a different level, like talking about, you know, environment, (laughs) And I didn't realize that that was part of the way you impacted. I knew it was all about packing and eliminating the problem of getting chargebacks from retailers. But you just talked about the way. So tell me how that plays in and how did how did you guys, you know, is this something you automatically put in there or, you know, because it was part of your mission? Or did you just come back to this and go, hey, this is a problem that's showing up. We need to fix this too.
1: When we were first kind of noodling around on it, we had no idea the opportunity to reduce waste or emissions. It was really something that we found out later after we got real customers. And, you know, we were looking at the data and we're like, wait a second, this is, you know, over time, acres of cardboard saved, you know, Mm -hmm. hundreds of truck trips saved leaving distribution centers. And that's kind of the moment when we became obsessed. And, you know, early days, people were like, what do you do? You put help people put thing in things in boxes. And we're like, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> and so today we're able to deliver these reports that say, you know, if you switch to these cartons in the warehouse, you would save whatever, 86 acres of cardboard in the next 360 days, or, you know, you will reduce your, your trailer loads by 14%. So we don't spend a lot of time, like, calculating what that means because it gets really complicated to follow the emissions all the way down and upstream. But those are pretty big numbers for such a kind of tiny part of a a fulfillment warehouse. So now we have nine people working at the company. I would say we're all kind of focused on the sustainability stuff, even if we have to go to market with the cost savings first.
0: Yeah, I totally get that. Years ago, I worked at Coca-Cola and you know, we were tasked with reducing costs, and one of the very simple things—and this relates directly to what you said—is we switched. I worked in um, the QA for the manufacturing portion, and one of the things that we did was we switched to a, a JIT system for our ingredients. So when we kept less syrup and concentrate on site, we literally reduced inventory by a million dollars. <laughs> That's and it was—it was just a matter of altering how we had it shipped to us and how the forecasting went
1: that that's the kind of story that creates massive supply chain nerds because
0: it's always (laughs) it's it's always about
1: that like tiny tweak but because Mm -hmm. of the economies of scale are just Mm mind-blowing um the impact you can have is just uh, incredible
0: yeah so when you're saying you know you can save 14 trailers I'm thinking that's huge. That's labor for those trailers. That's the emissions that the actual transportation creates. It's also emissions from creating the packaging, you know, all of those things. So that's incredible. All right. So let me back up just a little bit more because I might have a misconception here. Your product tells people how to pack. It is not the actual packaging. Or Correct. We're, okay. <laughs> we're not,
1: we work with packaging providers, um, mm-hmm. but we're a pure software company. So it's real time packing instructions. Plus, we have a platform that'll do analyses and tell them how certain changes to their packaging or product even will affect their transportation costs and, and scope three emissions.
0: So give me a real life story of a a retailer that you can mention their name, of course, (laughs) Mm. (laughs) (laughs) where it's a proven savings that you've created for them.
1: Sure. So most of our customers um, are a little cagey about actual numbers but I, I can talk about Crate Barrel. You don't and barrel. have to give
0: actual, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay,
1: I can talk about Creighton and Barrel um, because they've been a fantastic partner and they've spoken about our partnership publicly, but they were probably the biggest success we've had to date and, and it's still ongoing and also was incredibly motivating to us because they were interested in the cost savings, but their primary directive and interest was in being greener in their fulfillment. So it was like all this, stuff that we got ex- we are always excited about being able to talk about that with a customer and not have to, you know, put cost first. It was really an incredible uh, experience. So they use it in their, you know, flagship distribution center and the savings are I can say they're similar to what I I described before in terms of waste reduction and, you know, damage reduction. Because, as you can imagine, Crate and Barrel—they've got a lot of fragile items—and um, and this is very common. But what would happen is the the packers would either put not enough, and the the product would get damaged, or they would put too much. And we, you know, I'm sure you, just like I have, received uh, shipments that's one or the other, and you're drowning in air pillows or whatever. But being able to kind of quantify fragility depending on the product, like what it this bowl is fragile. What does that mean? Like what is required to protect this without overdoing it? So that, you know, just the protective material, the bubble wrap and stuff, reducing that as well was a huge win with Crate and Barrel.
0: So in the example of the bowl, how does Pacurit estimate this is what's required? No more, no less.
1: Yeah. So we, we typically work with the warehouse people to understand what they're doing today. Like what, what they would be doing if they lived in a utopian world where things were packed perfectly. And then our product, it it's an API. And so you're able to describe what fragility means in relation to a bowl or bowls. And then the algorithm automatically wraps it, you know, says, yes, it can stack with other bowls, but only this high, you know, you can really get into the weeds with it. But once you have it set, then it's pretty incredible but it, it just works going forward with, without too much meddling. So.
0: And so Crate and Barrel is kind of your, your flagship client. What other types of industries do you work with?
1: Oh man. So, um, any shipper, uh, that has a diverse set of SKUs. So they have a lot of different things that they sell. Home goods is, is pretty common. Cosmetics, pet supplies, auto parts, uh, mm-hmm. things like that. Anything where there's like a, If the packer in the warehouse, the packers in the warehouse, they have an extremely difficult job because they have people looking over their shoulder being like, you have to get all these orders out before the end of the day, or you're, you know, you're fired. Uh, It's extremely high stress. And so to also put on them, oh, and by the way, these have to be like perfectly optimized by eyeballing it and not damaged it's just not really fair and and they've been doing it for so for so long that, that I think that's why finally there's an appetite for some automation here
0: so your software will analyze a product determine how it needs to be shipped i'm assuming there's probably more complex variations like if sku a j and k were ordered that how those three work together yep we won't go into that but <laughs> uh-huh. i'm i'm sure i'm sure there's more complex variations but then it analyzes it and then it provides a set of instructions for the physical people who are doing the packing. Exactly. And then they can follow it, create less waste, get it to the consumer intact. So, less complaints, less chargebacks for the company. And what you were saying about FedEx and UPS, less chargebacks for the company that way as well. Right. And be better for the environment. Well, ex- that ex- sounds exactly. like a win. <laughs>
1: yeah i mean also we kind of figured out later in our journey that the carriers you'd think fedex and ups would not be pleased with us reducing their per shipment revenue because we're making every shipment you know whatever six to twenty percent cheaper to ship but it turns out because of the way that they charge their customers, it actually makes them more profitable because they're able to fit more shipments in a fewer number of vehicles. Um, So it's actually like, this is another reason we're kind of obsessed with this seemingly extremely niche space is like, it's not a zero-sum kind of game. Like optimizing at this one point, everybody really wins.
0: Oh, I love that. So the whole community of, of the shipping and logistics is winning. The retailer, you, the shippers, and I suspect from the UPS and FedEx type of perspective that even just processing less loss claims, it has a cost savings to it, you
1: know. Absolutely. And there's also, I mean, we don't do much in this because it, you know, it's a little bit outside our four walls, but the emissions from returns, I mean, returns are incredibly wasteful. Mm-hmm. You know, most cases that product's gonna go get chucked into a landfill. Um, It's taking up the transport network on the way back. So that's that's probably our next frontier is understanding that little bit of extra uh, emissions that we're saving.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. So how would somebody get started here with this product if they were interested in it?
1: Sure. So if you're technical, you can actually go to our website and just sign up for an API key and try it in like 30 seconds. It's pretty easy. Not everybody's technical though. So we typically will meet with you. So you can go to our website and set a meeting and we'll do a free kind of analysis to say, okay, whether or not you use Packer, this is the opportunity in the last, you know, at the packing step for you to think about. That's typically how we sort of start a relationship with somebody.
0: Perfect. Now, I want to, before we sign off for the day, I do want to ask you one other thing. You had talked about how the pandemic and everybody was shopping from home at that point, kind of blew things up. With that, not specifically about pandemic challenges, but with that just huge increase in volume, what were some of the challenges you were seeing?
1: Some of the challenges that our customers were seeing or
0: that you were seeing as an organization with that huge increase in flux of business.
1: I see. Yeah. I mean, retailers struggling to keep up with volume, as you noted, that was a pretty big problem. But the biggest problem is that at the same time, everything became more expensive. FedEx and UPS you know, raised their rates and now they're still raising them At a faster clip uh, than they ever did before the pandemic, but things that were previously just kind of like the cost of doing business, like my cardboard boxes, they cost what they cost. You know, maybe I do a little negotiation, but those are still at an all-time high. They they shot up during the pandemic and they've stayed there. And it's not just you know corrugate vendors trying to take advantage. It's like. Actually making this stuff is more expensive now. The resin that binds the paper together um, is at an all-time high as well. It's everything became more painful from yeah. a cost perspective, certainly.
0: And what type of growth pains did Paccurate experience besides what was happening outside of, you know, with the costs?
1: Yeah. I mean, suddenly dealing with all these big companies that were interested was definitely, you know, jumping right into the deep end. And, you know, luckily they're all, if you if you're familiar with kind of the crossing the chasm that sort of framework for, for startups where you always start mm-hmm. by selling to innovators where Such there's you know
0: family, the, yeah yeah
1: there's <laughs> there's a camaraderie there. So even though we weren't totally set up to scale really quickly, we had the benefit of working with really collaborative new customers. But I think the biggest challenges were that we we knew we wanted to build something bigger because of what we had discovered in the data. We knew there was a lot more value and good we could do. And so that's why we decided to raise venture capital, which is something we'd never considered before. We thought, yeah, this will, it's an API, they can use it or not, and it'll grow organically, it'll be fine. But we realized like to keep up with all this, like we need some backing um, and support. And Mm -hmm. and so we actually closed that that seed round at the beginning of this year.
0: Okay. Are you comfortable telling us how much you raised?
1: Sure. Uh, We raised a
0: little over $2 million. Awesome. Awesome. And this was kind of what I suspected is that, you know, when somebody grows that quickly, there's things happening on the infrastructure, you know, maybe you can't keep up with, you know, staffing or marketing or, you know, a whole lot of other things, you know, or just maybe working bugs out of the product to handle that scale. Right. Um, because those are sometimes things we don't see until we jump into the deep end. So right. yours was actually financing the extra activity.
1: Yeah. And going from, you know, we were three people uh, at that point growing from three to nine where, oh, wait a second, we have to figure out how to hire and onboard people. Do we have to shut down, you know, 30% of the company (laughs) in order to, you know, make that happen? Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm really proud of what we cobbled together. Uh, We put a lot of care into the hiring process, ended up with a team that we love. um, And we're actually... I'm leaving right after I talk to you, I'm leaving to go meet the whole team in person for the first time in in a random place in Connecticut. (laughs) Cause we've, we've just been go, go, go all year. Uh, everybody working remote. Um, and this is our first time to get together and kind of celebrate and forge ahead.
0: Oh, that's awesome. You know, that is a great thing. I hope one day that my remote team will be able to get together in person. We are all over the country. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. So, James, what should I have asked you that I didn't ask you?
1: Oh man, you you asked great questions. <laughs> um I I don't know. I mean, one question we get a lot is what can consumers do to help, you know, reduce some of the emissions associated with supply chain. And I think a lot of people know, but some may not. You can just you can be a little bit mindful about how you shop online if you really need something really tiny. Consider grabbing it when you're going to the store anyway, instead of making the transport network bring a hand sanitizer or something across the country. If there's a slow shipping option, choose that. Uh, if you don't, if you don't need it, if it's not an emergency, ship slow because things going on planes and long distance are much more polluting. Uh, than something that you're willing to wait, you know, three or four days to get to you. So that's something that we get asked a lot. And if there are any people out there that are as interested in, you know, supply chain sustainability, that's how we can kind of help in our our own ways.
0: Perfect. And how can people find you after the podcast today?
1: Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn, uh, James Malley, just connect with me there or go to our website and say hello. There's a little chat. We all, all nine of us see it when the uh, chat comes in. So yeah. Come and say hi. Obviously love talking about supply chain sustainability and cartonization, which is, I don't think I even said that word yet. That's the the term for what we do.
0: Cartonization. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not cartoonizing, cartonization. Exactly. <laughs> All right. And the website for pacurate?
1: Uh It's pacurate.io and Pacurate spelled like accurate with a P in front of it.
0: Perfect. We'll make sure all of that is in our show notes as well. So James, thank you so much for being here today. I greatly appreciate it.
1: No, oh, thank you so much. This was great.
0: Thank you for joining me for today's Nurture Small Business Podcast, where the focus is on business growth, technology, and people strategies to help your business thrive. At DCA Virtual Business Support, our focus is making your business operations run smooth so you can focus on growth. Reach out to me at Denise at dcavirtual.com if you'd like to learn more.